Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and I'm here today with Evan Marks, who's the founder and executive director of the Ecology Center down here in Orange County. Hi, Evan. Hi, Nikki. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, honored. Thanks for coming to the farm. Yeah, it's so fun. I come here all the time, and I feel so spoiled to be able to do my shopping here because now when I go to a grocery store, I just really see the difference in the produce even if it's like an apple or whatever I just prefer to come here and I think a lot about what that says about you know just the rest of the world and how I wish that people had more access to this type of food so I'm really excited to be here with you and I want to kind of get started with just you and your background I know that you grew up in Corona del Mar Mm -hmm. which is where I live so I wanted to ask you how you found yourself in farming as someone who grew up in CDM. Yeah, I grew up it all through the conduit of the ocean. Yeah. So I grew up as a surfer, still surf uh, very avidly. And um, by the time I was at Corona High School, I started opening up my awareness to the world a little bit, one step at a time, and started picking up trash in the ocean, volunteering and various other causes. Not not necessarily a, a super activist like the kids we have in our orbit these days. They're they're amazing. I wasn't one of those kids. I yeah. was still just a surfer, um, but was opening into awareness and and just kind of followed those ideas. Went you know upstream, and mm-hmm. my energy level is very high. Uh, my passion for being outside is is robust, and so it just never made sense for me to to be indoors. Mm-hmm. So it was just another condo, which is. Sorry, I'm telling kind of a convoluted story, but but I found out that uh, the impact on our ocean is 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 heaviest from our farming systems. So number one polluter on oh. our entire global oceans are the way we grow food. Wow. So it's not only polluting ourselves, but it's polluting our communities and our earth. And so I just kept, I took that further, and I ended up at UC Santa Cruz with an agroecology degree. And when did you find that out? You found that out in high school, just through reading, or yeah. Yeah, pretty much just kind of kept following it. And I was, I remember being, I was kind of at a crossroads, uh, you know, surfer. I was like, oh yeah, maybe I'll be in the surf world, you know? And I took a, like an ec- economics business class and I hated it. <laughs> and I took an environmental studies class and I loved it. And it was like a debate class where we were, had to learn both sides of the issues. And we, it was really motivating. And, and then to s- follow that further into, whoa, there's actually a pathway to being hands-on in the earth, outside, doing, being the solution. And mm-hmm. so that was farming. Mm-hmm. And I just, it, you know, it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen when I was in high school per se, but it definitely came in my late teens. Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm going to be 40 next month. So this will be 20 mm-hmm. years into the sustainable agriculture world. After Santa Cruz, what did you do? Did you kind of make your connections in farming and then open up, obviously, Ecology Center after that? Or Yeah, I mean, I've had a, a, a really wonderful exploration and journey. I, I, um, in our world of, of agriculture, there's, there's lineage and then there's experience that's mostly garnered through apprenticeships. Uh-huh. So like a lot of trades, if you will, like there's a, there's a way of getting the skills. And so I had an agroecology degree, so I understood the big ideas and the systems thinking mm-hmm. perspectives around food, but 
in terms of growing food, yes, I grew a lot of food. I had we had a homestead, and as college students, I lived with a bunch wow. of women on this old in this old kind of farmhouse. We grew a lot of food, but I, as a farmer, you know, so I became I took a, I did an apprenticeship at an amazing place called Camp Joy, that informed a lot of my thinking. It's a almost a fifty year old homestead on four acres in the Santa Cruz Mountains. That sounds amazing. So amazing. As you could imagine, I mean, like the, the house, the farmhouse was all built in, as a collective in the community. Like literally they salvaged the wood. They built the house. Wow. The same with every other structure there. There's goats and bees and, you know. Was it like Rudolph's like biodynamic? Very or? biodynamic. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was a vegetable, CSA, flowers and fruit. And it was, it, it, it was very informative for me. And, um, and I did a lot of tinkering, if you will. Like I, I was fascinated in, from an earlier age of more experimental ideas in agriculture. So I was growing amaranth and quinoa for grain, you know, in a small space. Mm-hmm. That maybe 20 years ago, didn't know what those were. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was really fun and processing foods of making jams and pickles and working with bees. It was all that good stuff. So would you say in school you learned about when, because I I usually just think of like school as sometimes not really like sharing these practices, even though you might go study it. I think obviously our farming system needs a lot of change. So they taught you this or do you think that the apprenticeship really um, formed that? Yeah, I mean, I I went to a very specific place from my college education, which is UC Santa Cruz, which is the center of this movement started back in the mid Mm sixties. There was a man from Europe. uh, He's English, but he grew up, spent a lot of time in various places named Alan Chadwick, who brought the idea of biodynamic small scale agriculture to California in the mid sixties and landed at UC Santa Cruz. Is he the one that was in um, Biggest Little Farm? Or is that someone? I different? don't think so. Oh, okay. Yeah, he passed in the '90s, Aww. but he's done. He was sort of like the a lot of the the lineage of West Coast organic agriculture comes back to Rudolf Steiner, which goes back to UC Santa Cruz, and that comes to now the Ecology Center is like the next generation of that. So you just happen to choose the best school, and what? by design. Like yeah. I, I, you know, I knew that um, that was. I knew. I just yeah, I honed in on that, and mm-hmm. it, it, it was a mutual selection. That's so cool. Yeah. So, okay, what is Ecology Center? I've watched it grow. And obviously for people who've never been here, I'd love um, just for you to share us your vision and when it first started, if that was your vision or how. Well, I took a lot of those ideas from those formative conversations and I grounded them in the, I'd say maybe the least common place, Orange County. We think of Orange County as, uh, you know, a place that's full of consumerism and Mm cul-de-sacs. And... Now we're, so I came here in 2008, 140-year-old historic farmhouse empty and a dirt lot and planted those seeds of what the Ecology Center is, which is a creative place for problem solving, which is can we together collectively imagine a new future that creates relationship to the earth and relationship to each other. And it's experimental in that over the 12 years since I started this from nothing, um, it's evolved. It's had many different chapters and many evolutions, and we're continuing to co-create that. Um, if you came here today, what you would see is a, it's a 28 acre property and Mm -hmm. we grow very high quality fruits, vegetables, flowers, and herbs on 20 acres certified organic. So it's, it's the, it's, it's one of the pinnacle models of the conversation that some of our 
friends and, and your listeners are learning into is regenerative agriculture, which is this agriculture that's about deep stewardship. And that's modeled here at its one of its finest examples. So it's an agroecology. That's again my degree, which is that we can grow food in harmony with nature for each other um, in a beautiful way. Um, so it's a farm. It's a farm stand, which is in a community center. There's a farm school. There's programming. While we're on pause right now, our programming normally is is really about breaking bread together, getting people eating together learning new skills through workshops, getting families and children's involved in uh, kind of this new future opportunities, a relationship and, and many other ideas. So it's, it's think, we think of this in a way as a village mm-hmm. rather than an organization um, or a farm. And yeah. so there's a lot of artisans, there's teachers, there's children, there's chefs, there's farmers, there's you and me and, and various other people. It definitely feels that way. And I've, I've, Really enjoyed watching it grow through the years. I came to yeah. the dinner with Alice Waters. Nice. Um, I don't know if you've done that multiple times, but years ago. We've done was... a lot of big dinners and only one big dinner with Alice. So mm-hmm. I'll always remember that. Yes. I know. It was really <laughs> fun. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really interesting conversation because even people who are interested and buy organic for themselves, I mm-hmm. sometimes find, and um, this is normally like the older generation or even my in-laws. I think um, they're really passionate about it in their own lives, but they don't see how it could be applied on a mass scale. Mm. So I wanted to ask you about it and what you think. And obviously you do believe that I'm assuming. So how is it that we can really do this? Is it through our government not subsidizing things like soy and corn or like how much bigger can it get? I mean, I'm assuming that the government also, I've heard, like, does give out grants and does um, give some sort of incentive for organic farming. Is that right? And if so, can you speak to that? Yeah, I I think I understand the question. But I think the general answer that I'd like to present is that, yes, we can change the way we live on this planet. And we have to. And it's going to take every solution. Uh, It's a rainbow. Mm -hmm. It's, It's so... Um, can we grow food for this amount of people in a way that doesn't compromise future generations? Yes, we have to. Is food going to be considered worthless in our value system? No, right? How do we go back to stewardship and food as being sacred is, is, is going to be part of the process. And then how we do it is actually not that hard. Um, the ecology piece of, of, and the agroecology piece of growing food is um, I would say the easier effort. Um, farmers for thousands of years have been in stewardship of, of the landscape and, and ultimately feeding their community. So I think there, there's, a, there's a very strong grounding into farmers as being providers for their community and also caring for multiple generations of soil health. A lot of the farmers that may not be in those mindsets and practices right now, I, I believe that it's part of a bigger dysfunctional system that they've been sold mm-hmm. that was about greed um, and, and basically a system that, that, that everyone thought would work. It all comes back down to greed and manipulation, which is taking advantage of the big picture uh, from the planet to our practices in, in agriculture, to our distribution and f- financing systems so that a few people can benefit um, and our future generations can. And we're seeing those systems collapse. 
This episode is brought to you by Underbears. Underbears believes in creating a comfier, kinder world with undergarments that organically move with you, not against you. That means no more painful wires, uncomfortable hooks, fussy strap adjusters, artificial lining, sweaty padding, or wetsuit-like smoothing. Whenever possible, they work with recycled materials and 100% GOTS certified organic cotton. Check out Underbears online at underbears.com and first-time Fullest buyers can enjoy 10% off with promo code THEFULLEST. That's underbears.com with promo code THEFULLEST. Are you talking about GMOs or even like farther back than that? Like obviously I started with tilling, right? Is that like just doing it's things so easier? It's so complex and, and it's all of the above, you know, yeah. which is the over and I'll just say that the keep it. I like to keep it a little higher level and we okay. can talk about any of the details yeah, specifically, yeah. but the over industrialization of anything is not good. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're going to take a step back, which is that I firmly believe that humans are part of nature. Mm-hmm. Is, do you agree with that? I completely are we, agree. are yes. we part of the system or are we disconnected from the system? Well, we've designed systems that actually separate us from the natural process. Mm-hmm. So, um, the first step is probably acknowledging that. And the way that we like to do that is by sharing a couple core ethics that allows us to ground forward, which is that we care for the planet, we care for people, and we, sh- we, we do our best to share surplus. Right? So that kind of starts to think about how do we hold this, these ideas in a way that, no, we're not perfect, no, we don't have the answer, and it's not going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. But how do we minimize our industrialization, which I'm going to use the language, the pirate language of how do we stop raping and pillaging our planet and ultimately taking advantage of each other? Mm-hmm. And it, it's going to, it's a thousand different solutions, if not many more. Um, but it all really does start with you and me. And that is the broad sense of the you and the me, which is it's all of us, right? Is that you may not be a farmer. So that might not be your battle to fight or even your knowledge to gain, but you are a consumer. Right. And, and you also may have a family. So how you nourish your family is the solution, right? How you spend your money is the solution. And so if you're a banker, how you invest your money is the solution. We all have the capacity to take our passion, our expertise and our reality and move it to good. Mm-hmm. And that's going to take us all thinking significantly, uh, you know, having reflection around, um, around these ideas and seeing what that means for us and then reevaluating that consistently. Cause it's, this is very much a journey and it's, and it's a marathon. Do you get overwhelmed and ever just, I mean, you do so much, so, um, that must feel really good. <laughs> I think a lot yeah. of times people just get so overwhelmed that they get paralyzed like and they the just don't the planet, do anything. Is we overwhelmed yeah. about that? I, I, um, very free infrequently, I live in a really beautiful bubble mm-hmm. and, and I'll say that pretty, pretty frankly. I, uh, you know, I, I, I move from a, a space of future vision of we can, and a model, like the ecology center is a model and a blueprint for a new future. So I live in this and then I go home to that mm-hmm. and I have a beautiful family and we're all healthy and the people around us are, have similar values. And could I expand my network and my bubble for sure? but that allows me to focus on the good energy in the world and, and to put that forward. Yeah. Um, I was recently, I mean, and they say this in a lot of places, I think is the ground, um, the movie 
is the, the movie is also called Kiss the Ground, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Kiss the Ground movie um, at Bela Farm, like they were talking about how we only have maybe like 70 harvests left if we don't change our ways. So what do you think that people can do today at home? I mean, you just kind of outlined that, what you buy. But some of the things that I've heard are everyone should try and grow their own food in some capacity, even if it's like, you know, a little herb garden or something. I, mm-hmm. I'm curious, what are little things that are something that people can actually, it's not just like a, you know, vague conversation we're having, like actual things, steps that they can take that you think make the biggest difference. Yeah. Well, I'll just keep the conversation around food because we could go into so yeah. many other patterns. You're fortunate along with so many others here. Not everyone has what would be the farm stand in their community. But most people have a farmer's market. And for those users, listeners that don't know the farm stand at the Ecology Center in San Juan Capistrano, it's this incredible demonstration of what local resilient food systems look and taste like. And it's incredibly delicious and very diverse. Mm-hmm. And it's always what's in season and it's always what's coming off of this farm and our farm friends that are in this bioregion. So it's a very special thing. And, um, and the second best version of that is going to be a farmer's market. And so the farmer's markets are powerful first steps because it starts to build relationship. And I think that's all at the core of what's, what the opportunity is for all of us is to build relationship. And that's going to be different for everyone. But I invite us all to think about what does a relationship mean with our food? Do we know what seasonality is? Do we know where things come from? Can we learn a little bit of these ideas? Can we be humble? Can we not be right? Can we be wrong? You know, can we say that we don't know the things uh, and we're not farmers and that's okay, but there's people around us that can help us and that understanding what's seasonal is the power. If you can start to consume seasonal local food, you're going to start taking the right steps forward, which is that you're going to support local farmers that need your support. And you're going to start to eat the highest quality, delicious food that's right in the right season. So that means that's a new pattern. That doesn't mean going to Whole Foods. It doesn't mean going to Vons. I don't know where you shop. All those places are are not the solution. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm talking about food. And I'm not talking about uh, per se. um, I'm talking mostly about vegetables and fruits. But in general, like those stores are fairly worthless. And I believe that we can do better. So I see a, a future where every community and, and those within the community have the ability to support farmers, to buy the qual- highest quality produce at the right time. You don't need weeks of produce. You just need to get it every couple of days mm-hmm. or once a week, if that's how often your market comes in. Or is your baker, was your baker have a relationship to grain and the grain farmers? And are they milling their grain and, and, and all that good stuff? But just start with taste, start with relationship you know, follow those senses and all, where's your baker? Where's your, you know, who are your farmers? Where's your fish coming from? Do you know a local fisherman? Or if you, maybe not near the ocean, are you eating proteins? Well, where's your, where's your protein coming from? Who are your ranchers? What are their stewardship values? Do they line up with yours? These are conversations that are really about not being right. It's about asking questions and not judging mm-hmm. because we don't need more of that in this world right now. We actually just need to have invitation to, for conversation and and really just all of us participating in this journey, which is one step at a time. You know, when I was in, it was probably 2000, I was at UC Santa Cruz, I did a field study 
in uh, Latin America, tropical ecology. And uh, we were in Belize and Guatemala for three months. And it was transformative for me in many ways. And one of them was the, that was the first time I got the, the awakening of, of seasonal food because I just didn't know that. I grew up in Okra Mar and we, <laughs> my mom's a cook. So cooking is such a powerful way of nourishing your family. So that, that would be like the next conversation. Mm-hmm. But we ate at the dinner table every day. Uh, my mom's a gardener, all this stuff. But I didn't know what was seasonal. I'm a kid. Like we didn't, you didn't know when's the tomato season or what was that. I didn't know that buying bananas wasn't good for the earth or for the people on this planet. Mm-hmm. And I and I learned that in Belize. I was because a, it's gassed or... Well, I want to tell a story that's, yeah. that's powerful if we have a couple of minutes. Yes, we please. Were, we were sitting on a Mayan temple. Um, not Tikal, but it was sort of like the, the, the far ends of that region. And so Tikal is in northern Guatemala and it was really the center of the uh, Mayan empire. And I don't, I'm not an anthropologist or historian, so I don't remember all the dates, but it was around 800 AD and um, incredible civilization. I highly recommend a visit there. Uh, but I was, we were in this village and as ecologists, my teachers um, sat us down in a circle and told us the story of bananas. And bananas are really powerful because we all think of them as great and ubiquitous really in the world. Everyone eats bananas. It's cool. No worries. <laughs> In the turn of the century, the 1900s, and even previous, slightly previous before that, there are large, large early versions of corporations, large corporations, United Fruit Company, which is now Dole, and various other versions of that. Very smart people. They did this in Hawaii, which is that they use food to take over and, and basically run countries. Mm-hmm. They, you know, so they took over... I don't want to talk about all the Hawaiian stuff with the pineapples, but they did the same in all of Latin America with the banana, which is that they bought the land, they bought and ran the transportation, therefore they ran the people and they ran the governments. And that was, they basically monopolized Latin America until there was revolution, until there's a great book called Roots of Rebellion that really talks about the overthrowing of these monopolies and corporations. Um, But it all came back down to the banana and we all like, oh yeah, cool, we all get the banana. But (laughs) the reality is, is that the banana... And I'm not villainizing the banana, just like I probably don't yeah. even need to villainize the GMOs. It's that is the is the lack of relationship, is a lack of thinking about systems. Oh yeah, let's just give bananas to everyone on this planet and just rape and pillage. Yeah. Like let's forget about half the people so we can make money for the other half of the people. Yeah. And that's kind of the same thing that's happening in so many of these disconnected systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I when I left Santa Cruz and I ended up, um, this was probably 2000. That was 2000 or so when I was in Belize. I came back and I started, I, I was like, that, that changed my life to, oh my God, I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. I want to eat local seasonal food. And that was really easy in Santa Cruz. I went to the farmer's market every single Wednesday mm-hmm. as a college student and just got amazing food. And what we didn't grow, we, we bought from farmers we knew. And I stopped eating tropical fruit. I stopped eating the things that didn't make sense to me. And I have never changed that since, you know, and that's why I love traveling when I get the ability is like, it's so special to meet new cultures and to meet the foods that we take for granted. But I ended up when I left Santa Cruz, I ended up farming in Costa Rica. I spent seven years farming in Costa Rica, putting these ideas to, to work at large scale. I, wow. I took a degraded thousand acre pasture, oh my degraded large landscape and turned it into this incredible permaculture. Um, and, but was adjacent to our farm was the, was the banana plantations. 
And the banana plantations from a, it's like, from an ecological standpoint, it's like a, it's like a coal mine, you know, and still it happens every day. That's how you get your bananas, right? It's spray, 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 you know, people running through the, 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 the crop dusters and they're bringing you your bananas, you know, and you got literally thousands of acres of monoculture bananas that are all just being, they're just all hooked up into an, an IV of mm-hmm. a lifeline of like spray fertilizer, spray pesticides, and somehow make it to market and make a bunch of money, mm-hmm. right? That's the system. You know, it's not the only system. It's not the system that we need to inherit or we need to, so it's like, it's that discerningness. doesn't mean, I'm not telling you to stop eating bananas. I'm just to have, have, have a, think about where you can make a difference. And if that's something you can't compromise on, where can you make a compromise? You know, mm-hmm. can you eat a little bit less protein? Can you, you know, can you do the things that may nourish you? Because ultimately it's all connected. You know, it's sort of like, I think about our immunity is our planet. Yeah. So that when you're in this wellness space, well-being is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. We care for ourselves with a diversity of diet and nourishment. That's the same way we care about our planet. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a monoculture. It's not, you only don't eat, only eat corn chips, you know, like it's yeah. the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. I love that lesson on, I love that lesson on not just villainizing bananas, but just thinking differently mm-hmm. because I think that's the best way to approach it. And it goes back to really education being number one, right? Mm-hmm. Because most people don't know that. Yeah. So maybe they're going to listen to it on the podcast and think twice about what they're going to put in their smoothie tomorrow. Yeah. Um, But I think when the conversation becomes about accessibility, it's interesting because like you said, you're like, whether it's Vons or Whole Foods, that's not the answer. And so how can we bring these farms or farmers closer to places that don't have farmers markets? Or how can we share about CSA boxes to people who can't make it to a farmer's market and, um, that conversation is so important. So I'm just really grateful that we could have that. Absolutely. I mean, for us, some of the driving pillars, and this would be framed up normally in like a triple bottom line conversation. So a conscious business would be thinking about these things, ecology, equity, and economy. Mm -hmm. And so equity is something that we're really working to build in to our food systems. And I don't think anyone necessarily has all the answers, but you may have great answers and so does your neighbor. It's just about taking action. Mm-hmm. You know, so for us at the Ecology Center, I talked a little bit about our regenerative model, like the ecology piece. For us, equity is also very important. And so mm-hmm. we we made the early pledge during COVID when there was a lot of challenges around food security. Yeah. We jumped into making a pledge to donating 20% or more of our food, our incredible ingredients to our neighbors in need to really nourish our community. I remember reading that in your newsletter and like people can buy a CSA box, right? For they could buy it, yeah. pay it forward. We have a free table at our farm stand. No questions asked. Anyone that's hungry can come grab incredible ingredients. Um, and we donate a, a boxes, um, a lot of boxes every week. And, and we want to keep doing more. Like that's not like, I'm not yeah. trying to applaud ourselves. I'm just trying to say that we started somewhere. Yeah. Like we didn't have the answers, but we said, hey, let's just start giving away our surplus. Let's start inviting our community to give. Um, and let's keep it going. Cause we know that, um, that's probably not enough. That's, that's not going to change the world, but, but we're going to keep pushing forward and that together we can continue to come up with new solutions. So I think it's less academic for me. It's really more action oriented. That's just who I am. I, we all can do what we can do. 
you know, mm-hmm. and so it's following people's passion and how do we, um, how do we lift the tide? Do you see the food systems changing? I mean, obviously you're seeing it here, but on a mass scale, like when we talk about subsidizing things and, um, I'm just curious, like it needs to happen really quickly. So I, I know one, I remember, um, kiss the ground. I heard about general mills. Well, okay. So I went to, um, Bela farm and Matthew loves talking to me about what Ryland's up to. And he mentioned that general mills just, um, asked to kiss the ground to come educate their farmers, not all of them, mm-hmm. but, um, I don't know, however many of them to come in and share with them about regenerative agriculture. So that to me is amazing because mm-hmm. if they see that it works, then obviously they're going to apply it to the rest of their you know, practices. But I'm just curious. I remember like learning about this. I just, it's so expensive to buy these pesticides and they're also really bad for our environment. So it really starts with our farmers standing up and saying, actually, it's not working for us anymore. But when we subsidize it, there's no incentive. So how do you see the systems changing if we're subsidizing it? Well, we talked, we're covering a lot of landscape here. I know, but you know, I just... So let me start from the beginning, which is, do I see food system changing for sure? And over the last six months, we've seen a lot more connectedness with our community to their community farm. Mm-hmm. Um, so some light bulbs are going off. On the far end of the spectrum, you were talking about subsidies which is a food, which is a farm bill issue, um, which is a systems issue, Yeah. which is that we, we overemphasize the value of corporations in our economy and in our culture. And we all do it, but in our food world, we do. And we've made, we've enabled, we've engineered the opposite of what's good for humans and the planet. So we subsidize those farmers growing foods that are inedible, which is GMO corn and soybeans to feed animals, which is also inedible, uh, so that we can feed hamburgers at a McDonald's menu, right? And, and that's, that's the broken system. All of that is not good. Yeah. And the problem isn't the farmer. And the problem is, and, 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 uh, and your pesticide piece, pesticides are expensive and they're also very cheap. They're a lot cheaper than managing weed pressure mm-hmm. or pest issues in other ways. And it all takes stewardship and it all takes long-term commitment and it all takes money and investment. So talking to a farmer about changing his practices is, is like giving someone a high five. Like that doesn't change your day. Maybe it does. Like, it's not like it's got to go beyond a conversation and it's got conversation has to go outside of the hierarchy of, I have the solutions and you don't, it's gotta be about collaborating for change. And learning by doing, which is that, let's be honest, that no one has the answers, right? This is, such a des- this is such a journey with no destination, but it's about deep stewardship. And um, by thinking that we know how to do it, especially those that aren't actually doing it, is not going to be the way to win. So it's a good, it's a good there's, there, let's just be clear that there's awareness building, which mm-hmm. is great because we need to em- empower consumers to be more literate. And then there's practical application of it, which is they're different in my world. And that is going to take new systems, partly on consumers saying, hey, I'm okay to spend more money on the food. And partly on us learning how to invest in in a regenerative agriculture so that the farmer wins. 
right? Because if the farmer wins, then we win. The farmer is only winning right now with the farm bill subsidizing them to do what's not good. Yeah. So I don't know the answers. I'm not in that world. I just know that it's so complex. But I come back to this when, um, you know, four years ago, right after the, the last election, I was pretty devastated. And also realizing that um, there's a large rural urban divide. And, and I think in my heart of hearts, I feel like a deep connection to the rural community. Yeah. Um, and I think about the power of the rural community and how we have to turn that upside down, which is that the rural is the place of thriving, not the other way, you know, and the rural is where there are still a lot of skills. I'm talking about not computer programming. I'm talking about carpentry. I'm talking about farming. I'm talking about baking. I'm talking whatever those things are, steel worker, you know, like these are the skills that I just overvalue. Like that's what actually gets shit done. Yeah. And all the stuff in the urban environment, that's cool too. Like I, I live in Oceanside. I, I'm down with that. I like the, that. but how do we push the value of working with your hands and providing value for your community and your culture? That's all coming from the rural and they are farmers. They have the equipment, they have the land. So how do we change the food system literally from a rural environment outwards? And I'm not the one to do it. I'm not from there. Mm-hmm. I came back to Orange County because I'm from here and I have an authentic point of view. Mm-hmm. I was I was in Africa for uh, about to embark on a large project in Nigeria. And I just, it wasn't the right thing for me because I'm not African. But someone in the rural community, thousands of people in the rural community have the ability to affect change in their community. Yeah. And, I, and I think us as outsiders, it's their, it's, it's, it's all of our game, but it's ultimately how do we empower each other to take action in the places that are authentic to ourselves? Instead of coming in and acting like we know everything. No savior and, mentality. Yeah. That's, that's been failing us as colonialists for, was that five, 600 years? Yeah. So that's, yeah, let's, <laughs> we're, we were learning a lot more about how to be human, which is loving women and respecting women, respecting Black Lives Matter, indigenous people, like all that stuff. We can't say that at the same time as I'm going to tell you how to be a farmer. You know, yeah. like it's all the same. It's like that's yeah. the colonialism. And so um, it's powerful to think of the process. And I, again, I'm, I'm probably, I'm, we're all like, oh, we're all guilty of all sides of it. You know, yeah. we're all learning in this journey and we're not always going to be on the right side of things. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was awesome. I loved it. I, right I love seeing things from your perspective. And I just want to say thank you for building such an amazing, amazing place for us to come and join our community. <laughs>